Hey listeners, my name is Shara Donahue, and this is The Bible Never Said That. On this podcast, we talk about popular sayings that make their way through culture and churches, even though they can theologically steer people in the wrong direction. I was going to wait until after Thanksgiving to start our Christmas series, but since we broadcast every other week and there is so much to talk about, we're starting a week early. For this year's Christmas series, we are looking at The Bible Never Said That, Even If Christmas Songs Do. So, we're looking at songs and song lyrics that either are completely theologically wrong or are controversial in the Christian community. Today, we are covering both. We are looking at the song, Santa Claus is Coming to Town. Santa himself is a controversial character amongst Christians. Today, we will examine who he is and how we can look at him rightly. Because some of the lyrics in this song are absolutely theologically problematic. Let's take a look at this classic carol written by J. Fred Coots and Haven Gillespie. It was first released with some jam and banjo back in 1934. And in case you don't know the words, here's a selection. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. He's making a list. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty or nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. He sees you when you're sleeping, and he knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. If people hadn't already been accustomed to the child-friendly jolly old man, Clip Clark Moore, depicted in his early 1800s poem, popularly known as "'Twas the Night Before Christmas,' This song could have been extra creepy. Before the rosy, rotund Santa appeared on the scene, he was often tall and thin and slightly imposing in the likenesses that were created. But more captured the imaginations of many with his cherry-cheeked old man. We should acknowledge that the thought of someone who is of a purely good character Watching over you and keeping you accountable can actually be comforting. And therein lies the biggest problem of this song. Santa is portrayed to have godlike omniscience. God declares in Isaiah 43, 11, I, I am the Lord and besides me, there is no savior. Besides God, there is no one with omniscience. And in Isaiah 44, 6, thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Our God is the God that Psalm 139 tells us, knows when we sit and rise, can discern our thoughts, knows where we go and where we lie down, is aware of every word on our tongue. We cannot hide from him. He is the one who made us and knows us, and he is the only one who can lead us towards the everlasting. Santa is not God and should never be treated as such. His mythological omniscience is but a myth. We have a truer 
and better gift giver in the Almighty God. Ultimately, I think the idea of if you choose to have Santa as part of your Christmas celebration comes down to two things, semiotics and matters of conscience. We're going to cover this discussion from a handful of directions. So if the first one doesn't align with where you have chosen to land, don't tune out. Stick with me here. We are thinking critically and exploring ideas together while always trusting scripture to have the final word. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Let's start with the first category, semiotics. Sounds fancy, but it's simply the study of how we use symbols and signs and how they work in a society and create meaning. So for example, a cross is a symbol that reminds Christians of Jesus's sacrifice to rescue a fallen world and a fallen humanity. It is a sign of victory in life for us. But to some, they only see it as a means of execution, a way to ward off evil or simply as fashionable jewelry. So let's look at Santa as a symbol. In many societies, the symbol of Santa has become a sign of Christmas. But to the Christian, the celebration of Christmas revolves around Jesus, not Santa. Many have chosen to forego the use of Santa in their homes due to the right concern that mythology could take the place of truth. We always keep an eye on if we are, as Romans one twenty five says, exchanging the truth for a lie. Scriptures people might use to inform a decision to avoid the symbol of Santa altogether would be 2 Peter one six, which says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And Paul asserts in 1 Timothy 4, 7-10, through 10, that we should have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourselves for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive. Because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. All Christians should toil to a life of godliness, but Santa is not completely based out of a myth. He is based on a person who also strove towards the life to come, 
who lived for our Savior Jesus Christ. Santa bowed down to the true king. Let's take a moment to look at how his folktale came to be. History.com reports that the legend of Santa Claus can be traced back hundreds of years to a monk named St. Nicholas. It is believed that Nicholas was born sometime around 280 AD in Patara near Myra in modern-day Turkey. Much admired for his piety and kindness, St. Nicholas became the subject of many legends. It is said that he gave away all of his inherited wealth and traveled the countryside helping the poor and sick. One of the best-known St. Nicholas stories is the time he saved three poor sisters from being sold into slavery or prostitution by their father by providing them with a dowry so that they could be married. It is my opinion that if we ignore St. Nicholas completely, we miss the chance to show the lasting impact of a disciple of Jesus. In terms of symbols, what we know about St. Nicholas is that he was a godly man who lived his faith well. He was generous, he was helping women avoid human trafficking, and he was standing for the truest truth. Angie Mosteller writes that the practice of giving gifts in Santa's name is really just a way of giving anonymously. Secret generosity is consistent with how St. Nicholas gave gifts, and more importantly, it follows Jesus's instruction to let our giving be done in secret. As Jesus said, your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Matthew 6, 4. St. Nick also was a defender of the faith. Sarah Phillips says in her crosswalk devotional, The Real Santa, Nicholas's life unfolded during a pivotal era of Christendom. After years of terrible persecution, the rise of Roman Emperor Constantine in 313 AD brought legal acceptance of Christianity. Legend has it that Bishop Nicholas was among the many Christians who endured imprisonment and torture for the faith until Constantine freed him. But the joys of freedom were short-lived because the church faced a threat from within. A heresy called Arianism was spreading confusion among the faithful. Arianism, named after its promoter, Arius, denied Christianity's central doctrine of the Trinity— By claiming that while Jesus was the Son of God, the Son was not one, united in essence, nature, or substance, with the Father. In other words, Arius claimed Jesus Christ was not the eternal Word made flesh, John 1.14. Relegating him to a lesser status, a sort of secondary God, St. Nicholas was one of the defenders of the true gospel, clarifying Jesus' identity against Arius' confusing teachings. When we teach our children that St. Nicholas, also known as Sinterklaas to the Dutch, is not the face of Christmas, but a defender of the faith and a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have the chance to offer our youth a symbol of what a faithful life can look like and the legacy it can leave. We can correct the mythology as they grow, and we shouldn't accept all the culture says, but there are many heroes of the faith that the church points to. Personally, to ignore St. Nicholas completely seems like a loss to me. I think we can stand for truth and not deny that a life well-lived for the Lord can impact centuries of humanity. Scripture that might inform this idea would be the ways the New Testament points back to the Old Testament characters who faithfully lived. Acts 7 and Hebrews 11 list off a bunch of people. Galatians 3, 5-6 tells us, 
Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 read, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. St. Nicholas's life indicates that he is most likely part of the great cloud of witnesses, and his faith can encourage us to persevere in laying aside sin as we keep our eyes on Jesus. Because as we've covered, there is much that can be used to glorify the true God in the life of St. Nicholas. So we may not indulge all the lore, but we can use cultural clues to point to the Lord. St. Nicholas gives us a starting place to engage with those new or far from the faith in a way to seek a chance to point to Jesus. C.S. Lewis made an interesting connection to describe the sadness and desolation of his fantastical world of Narnia in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. The White Witch had conquered the land and it had become a place where it was always winter, he said, but never Christmas. What a beautiful metaphor. What a bleak picture. But soon after his protagonists arrive in the winterized wild, a glimpse of hope comes in a herald who is none other than Father Christmas based off of St. Nick. The greatest piece of that dialogue comes as Father Christmas whisks away after distributing gifts to the Pensieve children and says, A Merry Christmas! Long live the true king. This reference to the true king points to Aslan in the books, who is the Christ-like figure throughout the whole series. I purpose, and I know I'm not the only one, that we use St. Nicholas as a herald and ambassador to the world as he once was and still can be. But we should not let him overshadow Jesus. I think that would only break the heart of St. Nicholas, and even worse, the heart of God. I will tell you what you should do when it comes to the other Santa questions you may have lingering, but what I would say is that there are certain cultural practices that we have to address as matters of conscience. We should know that these matters will come up because Paul addressed them often. Andrew David Nasselli and J.D. Crowley teach that the consciences of Christians are remarkably similar since we all have the same word and the same spirit. But on the edges of conscience, God has always allowed Christians a surprising degree of latitude and personal scruples. Paul didn't command the stricter Christians of Romans 14 to get with the program and start eating meat as Jesus allowed, nor did he command the meat eaters to end their carnivorous ways on the outside chance they might upset the vegetarians. He expected them to get along until Jesus returned. 
Let's take a minute and look at what they reference. Let's look at Romans 14, 10 through 14. Paul writes, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. Hmm. It is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean, but nothing is unclean in itself. We need to listen to the Holy Spirit and examine the scriptures as we seek to answer open-handed questions. D.A. Carson encourages that every generation of Christians faces the need to decide just what beliefs and behavior are morally mandated of all believers and what beliefs and behavior may be left to the individual believer's conscience. The idea of Santa falls into these areas when we acknowledge the life of St. Nicholas as one who honored Christ. And 1 Corinthians 10.23-31 can help us discern the path we should take in matters of conscience in general. Let's look at a couple of the scriptures in this section. 10.23 All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. So we should ask, does it build up? Is it helpful? 10.24 let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Ask yourself, who is impacted by your decision? And will it bring about goodness? And 1031. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We've talked about this scripture a couple times. Because here is a question that should guide us every day. Does this glorify the God I love, serve, and have staked my life on? Simple questions, straight from scripture. I hope you have enjoyed this examination, and I hope it helped you consider where people who believe differently than you might be drawing their beliefs from, and that it creates more unity for you with other Christians. I also understand you probably want to know how I handled this with my children. So here's my story. We prayed about it, and took the steps of obedience that we saw as they were revealed. And then one day, my oldest child decided for us. I see it as an answer of prayer, but it's still one of my favorite memories of my kids and their interaction with the Santa mythos. So here's the story. My oldest was three. I had just arrived at her preschool after trying to teach hormone-saturated junior high students all day. And my bouncy haired daughter ran up to me more excitedly than usual. And she latched on to me with eyes that looked like they were shrink wrapped in tears and declared, I told them you weren't dead. What? What? My mind was not prepared for that deeply relieved, but curiously arresting greeting. She explained to me, I told my friends that Santa was dead and they told me, you were dead. <laughs> Who knew three-year-olds could retaliate with such malice? 
These tots weren't messing around when it came to Santa. I bent down. I pulled her into my arms and I asked her, why do you think Santa was dead? She explained that she figured it out the night before when we told her the story of St. Nicholas. We told her when, where, and how he lived. And she deduced that if he lived centuries ago, then he must be dead now. No. <laughs> well, I was impressed. <laughs> that was some high-level reasoning for my not-quite-four-year-old. And like I said, an answer to prayer. But I was also wondering if I would be receiving phone calls from the irate parents of the children who would rather see me dead than Santa. <laughs> my curious little girl is in high school now, and she is finding her way. I love this kid. I love that she is bold in her convictions and willing to deeply into the information presented and wrestle with severing truth from lie. Her discerning, sometimes loophole finding mind, amazes me. And I think, isn't this what we want from the next generation? We want thinkers and dreamers. Children who have wonder in their spiritual life, but who are also watchful as they are presented with choices. Visionaries who are also grounded enough to not believe everything others tell them. We're all in this living in a fallen world thing together, figuring it out as we go. Let us learn our own lesson about giving and love from old dead St. Nicholas. And let's give each other a little grace. Most importantly, may we give it generously in the name of Jesus. As we herald the good news of great joy that in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ, the Lord, was born. Will you pray with me? Oh God, thank you for sending your Son. Prepare our hearts to celebrate his birth as we approach the Christmas season. Do not let the joy and awe be lost on us in the hustle and bustle of the season, but may our actions and our words and our celebrations point towards you. Teach us to glorify you in all we do, to live in ways that are helpful and profitable for the kingdom of God, and to let you speak into all of our decisions. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining me today as we began our Christmas series. We've got some fun episodes coming up. I hope you'll join us for the next one. The verses, books, and articles referred to during this episode can be found in the show notes at lifeaudio.com slash podcast or on iTunes. Thank you to all of you who have reviewed the podcast. We are almost to 100 reviews, which really helps others to find the show. Now, if you haven't reviewed yet and you're over in the notes looking for the references, I'd be so grateful if you could help us reach that 100 mark. But until next time, may you seek the abundant life that Jesus died to give and live in the truth that sets people free.
Hi, I'm Zach. And I'm Randy. And we're from Salty Saints Podcast. We're a theology and apologetics podcast. We hope to better equip you to be salt and light for your community. Uh, we hope that we can help you to go out and be a reflection of Jesus Christ to those around you, uh, to your friends and your family, and especially to those that do not know Christ. To find out more, subscribe at lifeaudio.com.